I had two conversations I have to share with you from earlier today I found inspirational. The first one was a friendly debate. I forget if I told you I've been invited to speak at my fourth TEDx, and so it was the organizer of that, and we had a friendly debate over what to do about renewables, and the second one was with a Paralympic athlete, and we recorded a conversation. It was about the challenges that he's faced or overcome in the life that he's created since he lost his two legs. Let me go over them as best I can very quickly. The first one was what we do for energy in the future. Most people are thinking we got to transition to renewables. We both agree that raising the number of renewable energy sources, the windmills and uh, solar panels, for example, that doesn't necessarily mean that we're lowering the use of fossil fuels. Humans over history have shown over, over and over again that when we have one energy source and we find a new energy source, we use the old one and the new one. So we can build all the solar we want. We can build all the renewables we want. That doesn't mean that we're lowering the fossil fuels. And our problem is that we're creating all this waste. I mean, one of the problems is that we're going to run out. But another big problem, 10 million people died last year. Eight, nine, 10 million people died last year from breathing air, right? There's a lot of other things that can happen from pollution and other sources of pollution, like in the groundwater and things like that. But just breathing air, you can't stop breathing air. Almost 10 million people died. It took us centuries to reach that number with the Atlantic slave trade. It took us years to reach that number with the Holocaust. This was annual and increasing, so if you think we're just going to run out of fossil fuels, that's missing that we're living in our own waste, in our own pollution. So we both agreed on that. But then I've been reading a blog called energyskeptic.com, and I highly recommend it. It's mainly this one woman citing all of her sources, and she's looking through what are the problems with renewables. Or, or let me put it this way. If we agree that renewables are better than burning fossil fuels, why haven't we done more? What's slowing things down? What's setting the pace? First of all, we need to build the things. We need to get the materials out of the ground. We have to build the wafers, the silicon wafers for the solar panels. These things take time. They also take fossil fuels. As it stands now, if we want to put windmills in the ground, we've got to dig deep holes. These trucks to dig the holes and the, and the equipment can't be run by batteries. Batteries don't work in this area. For lots of reasons, look up there. I hope I'm wrong, but it seems pretty clear. I mean, there's a reason why you don't see battery trucks around. We've been saying for over a century, we meaning people building batteries, the next big discovery is right around the corner. There's nothing stopping us from making it. There's great quotes that she put up from 1901, 1915. It could be that it's right around the corner, but we've been waiting well over a century, and they're, you know, we're making steady advances with some. But anyway, it looks like long-haul trucks, heavy machinery trucks probably can't run by batteries. We need cement, and cement currently, to make the concrete, it takes very high temperatures that we use fossil fuels for, and let's look at the, to make the wafers for the solar panels, you need very high temperature, very well regulated. And if you have fluctuations in that, which renewables tend to give fluctuations in power supply, then you often have to throw out the whole chip. Also, if we want to have a giant power grid that's smart, we need lots of microchips all over the place. Microchips require fossil fuels. Can it be done otherwise? Possibly, possibly not. I started this conversation saying that I'm reading this stuff and it's looking like renewables aren't, and I've just... That's the tip of the iceberg. Read the blog to get more. I'm really not stating it that well. Maybe you'll find flaw in it. There's probably lots of flaws in it, but there's probably lots of stuff that's not flawed. It's a serious question. If you're going to have an entire globe depend on renewables, do they work? Or do we still need fossil fuels? If they still need fossil fuels, they're not sustainable. So I'm saying this to him, and he's saying, well, we got to try anyway. Maybe there are problems that are bottlenecks, but maybe we can root around them. He's very confident that we will root around them. He's saying, you got to prove to me that it's not going to work. Otherwise, let's err on the side of building. 
Now, that's what I've been saying most of the time. You've heard me talk about when I first challenged myself to go for a week without buying any packaged food, I spent a six months of analyzing and planning that got me nowhere, and I erred on the side of just doing it. I wasn't going to die if I didn't eat packaged food for a week. I could eat fruits and vegetables. So I did it, and it worked very well. So I'm definitely on the side of erring on the side of trying. Fail by doing. But here's where we went back and forth for a long time. It was He was saying, error on the side of trying. Otherwise, prove to me that it doesn't work. Otherwise, let's do it. And as we spoke more and more, I used to say that. But this stuff looks pretty serious. If we're going to hit something that we can't get around, if we build up a system, well, here's the analogy that I used, or not the, the historical parallel that I used. If you could magically go back in time to when Rockefeller and the oil barons are building out the infrastructure that by the 50s and 60s, when they found out that this is a serious problem for global warming and sea level rise and things like that, it was so entrenched and there was so much inertia that we couldn't stop it. What would you do if you could go back to when they were starting this infrastructure? Would you have said, hold on, stop? Would you have said, be careful about the future? Because if you know what, what happens in 2021 and 2030, 2050, maybe this isn't the right thing to do. Or would you just say, go for it? Because at that time, they had no idea that there could be problems in the future. I mean, I guess they could look back at the past and see the soot over Liverpool and the Industrial Revolution in England and seeing that stuff was not healthy. Maybe there's a problem here. But I think that they would have said, let's just do it. There may be problems. We'll solve those problems. And it seems like that could be what we're doing now. So we went back and forth on this a lot because he was saying it's worth trying. We should try it. And otherwise, why not? I was saying, well, there could be problems. If we can't do it, what if we get into Or the other parallel, or the historical example I brought up was uh, Norman Borlaug, the father of the Green Revolution. He saw people dying in the streets in Mexico and in India, all over the world, and said, I have to save these people's lives. And he found out ways to get food to them. Now, looking back decades later, actually, even at that time, he said, all right, I've saved lives now. But, and for something like half of his career, he talked about what he called the population monster which is overpopulation. So he said, I'm saving these people now. We have to save these lives. But it's setting things up so that the population will grow. And if we just have the population grow to use up the resources that we are liberating or, or enabling, then we'll be right back where we are now, just actually a bigger problem. I don't think people can fault him for choosing to save the people's lives here and now. For a long time, people would say, well, he saved the lives of billions. But you could also say he enabled billions of people to say it makes sense to have more children because look at all these resources around. Now we might look back and say, well, the resources required fossil fuels for artificial fertilizer, for all the machinery to do it. It required unsustainable amounts of water, so we're draining aquifers, irrigating places that are not sustainable. He himself said there's a problem, and virtually no one out of 7.9 billion today, very few are looking at population. Some did for a while. But no one really took it seriously enough to do something about it. Actually, there are some cases like Thailand, Mexico, South Korea, where lately people have looked at this and, and done some things. But on a global basis, in my lifetime, we've doubled the population. What I'm saying is that if we don't look ahead to see, are there some problems that if we get the system going, we might not be able to stop it? What if there are problems? With, what if renewables are not sustainable? What if they require fossil fuels and either we keep doing fossil fuels and more than 10 million a year die? What if it's you know, hundreds of millions dying? from pollution that we can't make go away because this stuff is long-lasting and toxic, like the plastics. Or we don't use the fossil fuels, in which case suddenly we, hit a, we can't do the renewables anymore and we enabled all these people to keep going. What would we say to Rockefeller? 
the guy I was talking to was saying, maybe don't do this or maybe don't do that or maybe do this and do that. And it hit me, we have to talk about values. And the book that I'm writing now, the more that I work on it, the more I realize that our values, technology, laws, markets, innovation, these things do not, I believe, have intrinsic value on their own. They're not good, bad, right or wrong. They amplify the values that people have. So if we pursue material growth, extraction, externalizing costs without caring who pays at the other end, efficiency but not resilience, then if we build technology, we will amplify those things. If I could go back in time to talk to Rockefeller, I would say, what legacy do you want to leave behind? Because I believe that was one of his higher values, is leaving a legacy, right? He started all these universities and things like that. Because if the legacy that you want to leave is one of helping the world, think about these long-lasting effects. That's the message I'm switching more and more to now, is what values do we as society hold dear and act on, and we as individuals act on? Because if it's growth, we can make something more efficient all we want, but if a system pollutes, and our global economic system pollutes, if we make that system more efficient, in one area we may lower the pollution, but overall, if you make a system that pollutes more efficient, you will pollute more efficiently. Maybe not in that one area, like the electric vehicle, but overall, that's what's happened with when James Watt invented the steam engine, or not invented, but made the more efficient steam engine, it produced more pollution, used up more coal. Each one used less, but more people use more of them for more reasons. Uber was supposed to, predicted to decrease miles driven, but it's increased it. When the first computer, ENIAC, went online, it dimmed the city of Philadelphia, I believe, with its power use. Now, uh, you know, your cell phone has way more power, computing power, than what got us to the moon, and we're polluting more than ever through computers, even though each transistor is way much more efficient. So he was thinking, even if renewables aren't totally sustainable, at least they buy us time. But if buying us time doesn't change our values, I believe that they will just lead to continuing what we've been doing all this time. And I think he agreed at this point because he was saying it takes time to change. If we have to wait to change to make ourselves sustainable and then build windmills, it'll take a long time to get sustainable. But I'm saying we don't have to get fully sustainable, but at least move in that direction. I'm sorry, not just point in that direction. Because here's something that we know works. If each one of us does our best to live sustainably, and I can tell you from personal experience that I was able to drop my footprint by about 90% in a few years, and this has improved my life. I expected it to not improve my life. I expected it to make my life worse. It's improved my life. And look, I know you want to say that I'm a straight white male. I got all this stuff going for me. Actually, the people I find who are the hardest to change, to change are the ones with the most resources. The people with the most resources are the ones who are polluting the most and also have the hardest time coming up with things that they can do to lower their waste, even though it's pretty clear to everyone else trimming the fat is not that hard in their cases. Also, I see that when people on my podcast try to come up with things to do, now, I, I haven't done this scientifically, but I, it seems to me that the people who do the most have the easiest time finding more to do. That sounds counterintuitive for most people because they think, well, there's only so many things you can do. You switch out light bulbs, carpool, fly less, eat less meat. There's only so many things you can do and then you're done. Ah, that's if you think it's a bunch of checklists of things that you really don't want to do, but you have to. But if you think of it as I have come to see it as it's a set of values that you live by and the more you live by them, the more you develop the skills and experiences to live by them more, then the more you do it, the more you develop more skills to live more sustainably. So if I drop 90%, I'm now swinging upstream. It's pretty hard. People are constantly offering me things that I don't want, I don't need, and they're polluting. I send them back or I don't accept them. But if everyone dropped 90%, from there, now I'm living easy because everyone else is doing as I do. 
then I could go 90% drop from there. And now I'm down to like 10% of 10%. So that's serious drops at this point. That works. People can live sustainably. But most people think living sustainably, stewardship, is terrible. They think if we don't go to the GDP, if we don't get a tax base goes away, and then we can't maintain the infrastructure, and the hospitals close, and mothers and children die in childbirth, and we're going back to the Stone Age. Is that what you want, Josh? Because they have this vision of if we just keep the progress going, we'll eventually reach Star Trek, and we'll have dilithium crystals and clean energy, and we can go all around the universe. That's a nice vision. It might not be possible. It's looking, well, here's what we know works, is that we can live as people live for hundreds of thousands of years, but if people don't want to, they're not going to try. They're going to say, this is really horrible. Enter Blake Haxton. That's the second person I spoke to. I'm going to put up his episode as soon as I can. Here's his story. In high school, he was rowing crew. I mean, he, he, he rowed crew. He was a really good athlete. One day, he's got some leg pain. Whatever, no big deal. It keeps not going away. It gets kind of bad. He goes to the doctor. And by the way, you'll hear him tell it, or I'll link to his TEDx talk where he says this. He goes to the doctor, and the doctor says, hospital, immediately. Get to the hospital, immediately. Roughly speaking, he wakes up about 100 days later. His legs have been cut off. He had flesh-eating bacteria. The doctors, most people did not expect him to live. That was 2009. One of the things that he talks about in his TEDx talk, they moved him from one room to another in the hospital. Why? Was it to help to save his life? Was there equipment in that, in that room? No, it was simply extend his life long enough so that his brother, who was also in the same city in Ohio, could get there before he died. A friend of his was in Boston at Harvard. They called him to say, come as fast as you can. On his way, he went home first before going to the airport. Why? To pick up his suit because he might have to be going to a funeral. That's how close it was. And what made it through for him was faith, family, support. The technology, of course, helped. But fast forward to today, when he talks about this experience, the reason I contacted him was not because he's a great athlete. That was interesting. I mean, at the time, he was preparing for the Olympics. Since then, at the Paralympics, he won a silver medal, which was a phenomenal race, came from way behind to get into second place. But he's living a life. To hear him talk about his life, he says, I just had this one unlucky thing. Right? He's lost both of his legs. I just had this one unlucky thing. And now he's living a great life. He talks about it was pretty tough for a while, but he's living, he describes himself almost, he says feels a little guilty, I think almost because things are pretty good for him now. What I want to get at is he's got this message that says, you know, when he meets people, one of the first things he thinks is, how difficult has this person's life been? What problems is this person facing? This guy who lost both of his legs to flesh-eating disease is meeting people thinking, what problems have they had? What challenges have they faced that might make it difficult for them? When I wrote him through his agent, I said his message is the Churchillian message that we need today. You know, Churchill during the Blitz, times are tough. It's going to get worse, but we will fight them on the beaches. We will never give up. If we make it a thousand years from now, people will say this was our finest hour. No one wants to live in a situation where our global economic system risks collapse. Even our species risks collapse. But no one wants to lose their legs to flesh-eating disease either. Well, if that happened to him, yeah, that was a setback. He can say this. And he does say this. That was a setback. And I moved on through humor, through faith, through family. And I believe that this message of his, things are going to be tough. We'll make it through. Everyone has difficulties. Everyone has challenges. We'll make it through. It's going to be hard. We have to work very hard. It's painful. But we can. Because I have, he could say. He would say then, 
my challenges weren't the worst. You probably had challenges that were just as big as mine, just mine were visible. He says, that makes it easier for me, he says. This guy with no legs says, one of the benefits for me is that people can see my problems so that I don't have to describe it to people. But everyone has these challenges. You do, I do, everyone does. And we all have to overcome these things. One of the things we as a society will have to overcome is where are we going to get energy from? And we'll have to figure this out. And we can. I believe that that message, that he can ever, well, he would say, I think, that everyone can give it. But most people, the struggles that they faced are internal. And so most people can't see them, but everyone can see his. And so everyone can, I believe people will hear him and listen to him and say, that makes sense to me. I believe that message is more important. And if it really gets through to people, that message, it's difficult. Everyone faces difficulties. There's no way around that. We will face this difficulty and we can live sustainably. We can go back to living a way that works. That would mean cutting down our fossil fuels dramatically, eventually to zero. And then maybe we can start building windmills and solar to re-increase that capacity. That would be difficult. But I ask you, which would you prefer to live sustainably? No fossil fuels or minimal fossil fuels until you can get down to zero. And stewardship, meaning everything you do you got to think, if I turn on this air conditioner, is someone else going to get hurt? Is there someone who needs that power more than I do if it's limited power provided by whatever limited renewables we have available? And maybe the other person needs it more, so you don't get to use it. you got to live with hot temperatures in the summer or whatever. You, you, know, you can't use the refrigerator. you got to ferment, which I've been learning how to do, and, and sprout and things like that, which I, I'm totally loving. And he's loving his life too. you got to hear him joking about it, hanging out with his friends, about dealing with having no legs. He's pretty funny about it. Okay, which would you rather prefer? To live sustainably. And everything you do, you got to think about everyone else. Who else is affected by this? You can't make decisions on energy, on pollution without thinking about others. That's option A. Option B, you lose both legs. Because I think most people would choose living sustainably, living in stewardship. And this guy who lost both legs just brought home a silver medal. He says outright, if I could go back, I would not have this happen. I would choose not to have this. But he did have that happen. And he's doing, sounds pretty good. Listen to him on the podcast when I post it. But he's saying he's living a great life. He's getting to do things, having the TED Talk, competing in the Paralympics. I was humbled by him saying, being on your podcast. This is what inspires me, that he faced a challenge that I think almost everyone would choose living sustainably over what he faced And what he faced led to a great life. I believe this message is, how do I put it? It's more important for us to examine our values and decide to live by what's most important to us. We think, oh, the plane will take us to a distant relative. That's how we earn a living. That's the addiction speaking. Underneath it, spending time with family, helping society, these things don't require those things. We think that they do, but they don't. He didn't need his legs to row crew. Most people think it's an arm sport, but it's actually mostly a leg sport. Well, for him, it's all arms now. I wanted to share these two conversations. The first one, when we debate about, does this work, does that work? These debates can go around in circles forever. Where it leads is ultimately, and I don't hear anyone talking about this, what values do we want to live by? When we decide what values to live by, then we can change direction. Then we develop technology and innovation to advance stewardship, not to advance extraction and material growth. Also, it's a preview. I think that you'll love the conversation with Blake Haxton. Normally, it takes a while to go through the editing process. I think I'm going to accelerate this one to have it come out a little bit faster. So look forward to 
listening to Blake Haxton. I think you're going to love that episode. I invite him back for a second episode already, and I think there'll be a couple episodes. So that's a sneak preview.